What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines for you as always, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Instagram, IGJHood. Hit the station up on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. All the best to you and your family. I'm so glad to be able to bring you this show nightly. Uh, We're hashtag alone together during this pandemic, and I hope that uh, I could be somewhat of an escape for you for the next three hours or so as we try to do this every night. Uh, I'm watching the news and seeing the information just like you are, and it doesn't seem like it's getting better, but eventually it will. And we're going to do this together, and we're going to be alone together during this um, stay-at-home and during this pandemic. So I hope all the best to you and everyone listening to the program right here on ESPN 1000. So I was reading earlier today a story from TheAthletic.com, and it's entitled Execs Unfiltered on Every NFL Team's Free Agency Moves and Trades. I spoke earlier this week about Mike Sando, who always writes some terrific columns for TheAthletic.com regarding the NFL. And this one was a good one as well, because somehow Mike always is able to connect with coaches and executives and get off the record thoughts about teams and situations around the NFL. And I always find it fascinating. My favorite column that I read every year is the Mike Sando piece from The Athletic before he worked at ESPN, now working for The Athletic on the quarterback tiers. We reviewed some of that earlier this week as well, where he's able to go through the quarterback tiers, talk to certain uh, NFL executives, and get their opinion on the best of the best as far as the quarterbacks every year before the season starts. And so Mike, once again, cranks out another quality column here, talking about uh, the executives unfiltered on every NFL team free agency moves and trades. So he goes through all the teams. So you know what I did, right? I immediately scrolled right to the NFC North. And I want to see what coaches that are coaching now and executives and what they have to say about the teams in the NFC North. So before we get to the Bears, I'll start with the Vikings. So one of the quotes is um, that the Vikings moved on from Stefan Diggs, their wide receiver, and got rid of some guys who were underperforming in their contracts. Their ability to take Diggs and turn him into another receiver, that is cheaper. Um, the Diggs trade to Buffalo overshadowed other moves the Vikings made. Executives loved the value that Minnesota got for Diggs, which included picks in the first, fifth, and sixth rounds this year, plus a fourth rounder in 2021. The Vikings sent a seventh round pick to the Bills with Stefan Diggs. Now, out of all the stories in the NFC North, that's one of the bigger ones because we know how good Stephon Diggs is as a wide receiver uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. So to try to replace that type of production will be interesting uh, in the draft for the Vikings and seeing if they can do that. Because um, one thing for sure, I know that the Vikings have a very strong defense and Zimmer has an offense now with Kirk Cousins as a quarterback where the running game is just is okay, it's pretty good, 
but they need to be able to have even more weapons offensively. They've done a lot in Minnesota to keep themselves in the mix, at least in the playoff mix. And Zimmer does a nice job with the Vikings. And so I always look at them. I know what the Packers are, but I always look at the Vikings because maybe that's where the Bears can be in the playoffs on a regular basis and competing for the NFC North Championship, competing in the NFC. Now they move on to talk about the the, uh, Packers. And what is written here about the Packers is free agency played a leading role in the Packers team building last offseason. This year, not so much. So linebacker Christian Kirksey, tackle Ricky Wagner, Devin Funches, who is a receiver, are not game-changing additions to a roster that has subtracted tight end Jimmy Graham, who's now at the Bears, um, Brian Bulaga, who is a tackle, linebacker Blake Martinez, uh, Kyler Fackrell, who is a linebacker, Geronimo Allison, a, ro- a receiver for this team, who are not necessarily game-changing talents either. Interesting about the philosophy of the Packers over the years in that You know, under Ted Thompson, when he was a general manager, they really believed in their value that they had on the roster. They didn't go to free agency very much because they knew what they wanted to do in the draft. And so in the draft, they would always resign their players. Very few difference-making players came through free agency because the difference-makers were already there through the draft. And so that's different than what you get now with what you're seeing with the uh, Green Bay Packers where they're going to dip into free agency here and there to be able to get themselves uh, in a better position to solidify themselves as one of the best teams in the NFC North. We talk about this with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Yeah, Gutenkunst is different than Thompson in that regard in the GM spot. We'll see how the Packers fare this upcoming season. Then, of course, my friends, the Lions. Oh, the Lions. So, the Lions traded top cornerback Darius Slay, a a holdover from the team's previous leadership, and then targeted among their priority free agents Jamie Collins and Danny Shelton, who play for the New England Patriots, where current Lions general manager Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, the head coach, spent much of their careers. The Lions traded Slay, who had become disgruntled because, in his telling, Patricia had insulted him in front of the team. So Slay was going to stay, but then Patricia insulted him. What could he have said? Like, you didn't play hard enough. We need more from you. And I'm insulted. I'm leaving. What has happened in 2020? <laughs> he insulted him. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know what? Me and the coaches don't get along, or we have a different philosophy on how we look at things defensively. He was insulted by Matt Patricia with the pencil behind his ear. All right, cool. The Texans, under former Patriots assistant Bill O'Brien, recently unloaded star receiver DeAndre Hopkins the same way. Um, so I guess from the Lions' standpoint, they can do without Darius Slay. And so things are changing, but is it changing for the better? Usually not for the Lions. And now the cherry on the Sunday, the Bears. Here's what some of the uh, executives off the record have said about the Chicago Bears. So... Mike Sando says, if the Nick Foles acquisition was the most important one for Chicago, the Jimmy Graham signing drew the most heat. Graham, who's 33, saw his receiving yardage totally fall to 447 with the Green Bay Packers last season, the lowest of his career since the 356-yard rookie season in 2010. Graham's $8 million annual average uh, ranks tied for sixth among NFL tight ends with Trey Burton and... And of course, his new teammate. So think about it, the $8 million that he's going to get on a regular basis, just for a couple of years here, it ranks tied for sixth among NFL tight ends. 
He and Trey Burton are making the same money, according to this piece. So here are, are what people are saying about what the Bears have done here in the offseason. People are making a big deal about Jimmy Graham because they're not happy with how much money he received. But he had a great game against Seattle in the playoffs. He was all over the field, according to one evaluator. If you get from Jimmy Graham what the Packers got from him in the playoffs last year, then you're getting what you wanted. Are we upset with the production that he has left us with? Okay, so let me just stop there. Now I'm talking. Um, Jimmy Graham has a lot to prove, no matter how he played in the playoffs. He still has a lot to prove because he had uh, has had a terrific career. I mentioned the 447 total yards for receiving is not great. That sounds like a backup more so than a starter. And it's still to be determined what Ryan Pace is going to do as far as that tight end spot, because it's one thing to have that feeling of, oh, I know Jimmy Graham from the days of the New Orleans Saints, so I'll just sign Jimmy Graham because I know him. That's not going to get it done. They have to still be able to draft, I think, someone at that tight end spot. They need still to bring in someone else at that tight end spot because it is important for either Foles or Trubisky to have that outlet, to have that guy that they can go to at the tight end spot. Allen Robinson's one receiver, and you've got Tariq Cohen, and you've got Montgomery, you've got other receivers there, but you still have to be able to have a pass-catching tight end that can make a difference. Jimmy Graham is just one guy, and Jimmy Graham had shown signs in the past of being one of the top receivers in the NFL. You've seen this. If you're a fantasy guy, you probably looked at Jimmy Graham as a go-to person for your fantasy team. But the point is that he's 33, he's north of 30, so that is a problem. And he cannot be the Band-Aid for the issues for this Bears team at the tight end spot. I'll continue. It says free agency is frequently about admitting mistakes. You know what? If <laughs> Eric, if we can make that a title, if that could fit, I would ask you to make that the title of this show. Don't you think that should be on Pace's tombstone? Right? Right? <laughs> free agency to make up for my mistakes. Yeah, free agency. And this is something that but it's something that we all know, but it's something that we have to be able to remind ourselves is that free agency. Anytime you see free agency, it's frequently about admitting mistakes. It kind of goes back to what Howard Griffith said to us uh, a few days ago about why do you have to sign, why do you have to trade for Nick Foles or why do you have to have um, certain guys on this football team that you get get via free agency unless you did your due diligence by getting the players you needed to start with in the draft. But nonetheless, free agency is frequently about admitting mistakes. The Bears signed Graham in part because Burton had not flourished. They acquired Foles from Jacksonville with a fourth-round pick because their 2017 first-round pick, Mitch Trubisky, might not be the answer at quarterback. They signed Robert Quinn to a deal averaging $14 million per year because they hoped to upgrade from the 2016 first-round blunder of Leonard Floyd, who was allowed to leave in free agency. The Quinn deal was heftier than the other deals involving high-drafted pass rushers. So... As I have said many times here, Leonard Floyd was always around the tackle, but not the reason for the tackle when he's at Georgia. I'm a Georgia fan, saw every snap of him. And I knew that Leonard Floyd was good, but not a difference-making guy for this Bears team when he was drafted. Everybody was hitting me up like, this is the guy, right? And I go, no, Roquan Smith's the guy. 
Leonard Floyd, maybe not so much. Here's something else that was said, though, from an executive regarding the Bears. Chicago moves on from the ninth pick in the draft with Floyd, who they moved up for. And then you pass out $30 million in guarantees to a 30-year-old rusher who had back issues and played a lot of snaps. An executive talking about Quinn, who turns 30 in May. He will help you through this year, and that is what they're trying to do, win this year. But I'd be a little worried longer term. (laughs) Now, I've been saying already a lot this week that it is important for the Bears to be a perennial winner. It's not about this upcoming season whenever we have it. It's not about this upcoming season. What is, you know what it's about? It is about how you can have sustained success. The Floyd experiment through the draft did not work. So they threw money at Robert Quinn. I think that Robert Quinn will be fine. But again, just like Foles, not for the long haul. The Quinn signing, just like this executive says, is good. But what about in three or four years? Maybe you'll be able to be in a better position to draft and replace Quinn at some point, whatever. One other thing, replacing Trubisky outright would have been another alternative. Uh, the point is they want their guy Trubisky to be successful, according to one executive. But they want to have some protection because he hasn't gotten over the hump. And there's going to be a lot of pressure if it doesn't happen this year. You feel more comfortable bringing in a backup you think can win with as opposed to bringing in Cam Newton or Jameis Winston to unseat your guy. Think about that just for a second. Just think about that sentence for a second. They talk about Trubisky. It says, you feel more comfortable bringing in a backup that you think you can win with as opposed to bringing in Cam Newton or Jameis Winston to unseat your guy. Foles has the trust of the head coach, knows how to support the starter, and will come in there and show Trubisky the way a little bit. Whereas if you have Cam in there, you're going to say pretty much that you're done with Trubisky. Now, a couple of things with that. One thing is, is that if you feel that Cam Newton, who I'm not sure is 100% as we speak today, eventually he will be, but I don't think he's 100% now because of that foot. If Cam Newton is the better quarterback, then you go for Cam Newton. Of course, it all depends on the medicals and everything else with that, right? But if he's healthy enough to play, and if you think he's better than Nick Foles, then you go with Cam Newton, don't you? Jameis Winston is also part of this quote that I see here in front of me from The Athletic. I don't think Jameis Winston is better than Cam Newton. Jameis Winston is a 30-30 guy, 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Whatever happens, it's going to be fun when he comes out on the field, but it's about being able to take care of the football. Jameis did not do that last year. Jameis is looking for a job as we speak. But you don't get Nick Foles because you think it's safe and because you think he's going to be able to just kind of hold on to Trubisky and help Trubisky along. You want a guy that can step right in there and be like, dude, not only you are the guy today, you're going to be the guy for the next five or six years if you can beat out Trubisky in camp. Just think about that. what that executive is saying right there. It's like, like, there's a lot of pressure if it doesn't happen this year. You feel more comfortable bringing in a backup that you could think you can win with as opposed to Cam or Jameis to unseat your guy. Well, I mean, I've seen Cam Newton play, and, and Cam Newton 1.0 early in his career, terrific. 
because I thought he was Big Ben 2.0 in that he was a big guy that could be able to move around, do a lot of different things, and utilize his arm. But without the use of his legs, Cam does have the ability to throw the football, but I don't know what he's like with the bad wheel. And Jameis, as I mentioned, it's unpredictable. You don't know what you're getting. But I, I find that quote interesting from that executive regarding Foles. Foles is safe. But Foles also is short-term. Not bad. I want to make sure it's very clear what I'm saying here because it'll come across as like I'm saying Foles sucks. I'm not saying that. Foles is better than Trubisky today as far as running this offense. But what I'm saying is, is that it's good for to, to understand that Foles is here for a short-term and not the long haul. And what this Bears team needs is to be able to win for the long haul and be in the mix in the NFC for the long haul. Interesting column. Check it out uh, from TheAthletic.com. I thought it was fascinating because when you hear you know anonymous executives talking about these uh, certain moves across the league, it's uh, interesting to get a, a fresh set of eyes and different perspective on what's going on. We will celebrate the life of Ed Farmer, uh, White Sox broadcaster who passed away today. Uh, we will talk about that and more coming up next on UTH. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Ed Farmer, tell me, how'd you become the best relief pitcher in the American League? Well, Harry, I did it by becoming, uh, becoming more positive on the mound when I took the ball from the manager. Keeping my pitches down, moving the ball in and out on the strike zone. It's, uh... You know, the relief pitcher and the role that you play, you can't even give up a fly ball. If you if you retire the batter and hit a long fly and a run scores, they look upon you as having failed. Well, you know, that's true, Harry. Uh, like I said, you have to keep the ball down, you have to be positive, and you want that ground ball. Concentration is the most important thing, too, when you're out there. How about that for some history, right? Harry Carey, as a White Sox broadcaster, talking to Ed Farmer... Back in 1980, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So glad that you are with us here. We'll have a number of guests on, including the great Ron Kittle will be with me coming up at 7.30. We will talk to Kitty, who was the Rookie of the Year for the White Sox and um, had a ton of home runs for, for the Sox. Big time home run hitter. We'll talk to Ron because Ron knew Ed Farmer very well. So we will have a number of guests on talking about the late Ed Farmer. Um, so my my feeling about Ed Farmer was that I used to do, and I'm going to retire it now, but the, the, I had this impersonation of Farmer that I'm going to retire tonight because... Um, I always had this this impersonation of him being sounding indifferent because he was not necessarily always the most excitable broadcaster for the years I've heard him with John Rooney, with um, Chris Singleton, and with Darren Jackson. And so I always thought that more times than not, because his voice was strong, a lot of times it sounded understated. And listening to him over the years... John and Ed were a, a really good team because they, they played off each other. And same thing with DJ and Farmio, Singleton and Farmio. They all played off one, to one another. And so I always thought that he was uh, somewhat understated as a broadcaster. But when you think about the man, um, Ed Farmer, did so much for so many people. 
You're going to hear a lot of stories here tonight on the program regarding what Ed did away from the broadcast. Um, I read what uh, Keith Oberman said. Keith Oberman from ESPN is a huge Ed Farmer fan because he knows Ed for uh, everything that he's done in his um, his life. And as a broadcaster, he's a fan. He used to sit in the booth. And Ed Farmer brought that kind of Harry Carey sense to bring certain elements to the broadcast, bringing um, guests in. You don't get this anymore, really, in broadcasting. Usually it's just the play-by-play man, the color guy, and they just kind of banter back and forth. But I just remember uh, Farmer allowing a number of guests to be in the broadcast booth with them, um, like Muscaurin, which was always... <laughs> That was always great radio when Scour would come in there and start talking to Farmer and Farmer asking all these questions about his days with the Yankees and all that stuff. So it was it was always interesting uh, to hear Farmer to talk to other people in the broadcast. And so let us um, have a reflection of who Ed Farmer is, Southsider, which that uh, is really close to my heart. And the guy who loved the White Sox is also close to my heart. It it wasn't brought up enough in life how much Ed Farmer really loved the White Sox, being from the city and all the things that he brought to the table for as a White Sox broadcaster and personality. Um, let's now review the life and times of Ed Farmer. Very pleasant. Good afternoon, Chicago. Alongside Darren Jackson, Ed Farmer, glad you're with us, friends. Turn on the fireworks. Sox win. Sox win. Paul Brother won a game. I just love the game of baseball. My mom got me a glove. It was a glove she bought at a five and dime store at Kresge's. I learned how to play catch uh, with Charlie Thompson across the alley in the neighborhood, 79th of Francisco. It was a way I could get through things uh, because I didn't speak well. I was five years old and I didn't know how to pronounce words. And my dad said to my mother one day, he goes, Edwards is a little slower than the other kids, you know. So um, it, it was a way for me to break through that barrier and have people notice me. And my uncle loved the White Sox. My godparent took me to see him play, and I was hooked at Comiskey Park. My address has been 35th in the Dan Ryan since I was 11 years old, basically, because I used to ride the bus up 35th Street with Tommy and come to the ballpark here at Shields at 35th. That's how he got here. And Tommy and I would get here early. We'd take the tickets because we were juniors. We could cash the ticket in, and then we could have a couple of hot dogs during the game with the refund we got for a, a box seat. I wanted to be the best player in my neighborhood, and I think I became that. And I, I had a scholarship to St. Rita. I also played on a basketball team, but I've been a deformed left knee since I was born, and I really didn't want to play football, but baseball... I want to be the best baseball player, one of them in the city, that expanded to being one of the best baseball players in the state. My mother, Marilyn, no doubt about it, she honed me to a fine edge. I walked into Comiskey Park, and I told my mother, I said, someday I'm going to play here. She goes, Edward, if you're good enough. And uh, I got to play here and was an all-star here for the White Sox. From the Chicago White Sox, pitcher Ed Farmer. One reason the White Sox have enjoyed good success thus far this season would be that man, the big right-hander Ed Farmer, coming on in the bottom of the sixth inning. As Rose, it's a bouncer down to Randolph. Willie over to Yount, one, and back to first, double play. And when I went to the All-Star game, I had 17 saves. I went from uh, pitching better the year before, saving 14 games, and I saved 30, setting the club record there for saves. And... Uh, 
I was actually bleeding internally with the cyst popping in my kidneys from polycystic kidneys. It's the number one genetically passed disease in the world. And my mother, she had that. And, uh, she was gone at 37. And I inherited that gene and so did three of my brothers and sisters. My good friend Ed Farmer has worked tirelessly to promote the organ and tissue donor program. For almost 20 years, we have worked together to register people for this meaningful program. He's the voice of the White Sox, but he's also the voice of humanity. So my brother Tom gave me a kidney transplant 28 years ago. Gave me his kidney. He walked in and it looked like a great shark had bit him in half. You know, he had this big scar around his belly button up to the back, but it actually was an identical match. So saved my life. My brother Tom, yeah. I was assistant general manager at Baltimore National Cross Checker, along with going with Roland Hammond into different uh, areas to work on trades and get things done. And uh, Roland turned to me and goes, Larry Lakino wants you to call him tomorrow. So I called the Oriole office the next day and he goes, uh, the White Sox w want to talk to you. I don't want you to sign anything, but call them and find out what they want. So I called them and I called Larry back and I said, they want to make me the special assistant to senior vice president of baseball operations. Silence. Nothing. And he goes, what is that? I said, I think that's a, uh, the assistant GM. He goes, you're already that here. I said, they also want me to do radio on Sundays. And that, that could interest me. Yeah, that's how I got the job. I did Sundays. And I had to be wherever the team was on Sunday. So I'd be out scouting. And I'd get a flight on Saturday or Sunday morning into where we were playing that afternoon or that evening. And Tim has four home runs. He's driven in 14. And the pitch swung on high, deep to left. Got a chance. Pitch a track. It's down. Game-winning home run. Line it up. Sox win. This is a great seat. Uh, please. It's a boy whose dreams growing up as a White Sox fan. It is. It's great to call the game. Game-winning home run by Anderson is fifth. White Sox were down France 9 to 2 at one point. This is something that doesn't happen to everybody, and I understand that. It's great to be a White Sox fan. Well, it's a family here. That's what it is. I've got a great partner with Darren Jackson. We get along great. Uh, my closest friend outside my family. For my partner and me, we want to win. You can hear it in my voice. I don't come to lose a baseball game. And the 0-1. Alonzo swings. Line drive left field. That's down for it. One run scores. Up with it. A hesitant throw. Sox win. Sox win. I'm here to do one job. Do the broadcast. Call a White Sox winner. Hopefully get to the playoffs in the World Series again for all the fans. Because I'm a huge White Sox fan as well. That paints the picture of Ed Farmer as uh, a person growing up on the south side, 79th in Francisco, and also a St. Rita Mustang all throughout his career as a ball player, as a broadcaster, and a great human being because of organ donation. I will tell you the organ donation piece, uh, because he promoted it so often, now I'm an organ donor. I've been that way for about five, six years because Jesse White and Ed Farmer would talk about this all the time on broadcast, and so I became an organ donor as well because of Farmer and because of Jesse White talking about it so often on White Sox broadcast over the years. We will hear from Ron Kittle, his thoughts about the passing of Ed Farmer. They'll be coming up next right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. 
Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So glad you're with us. We've been talking about the passing of Ed Farmer, a longtime White Sox. And, of course, White Sox broadcaster. We turn to a White Sox great in Ron Kittle, and he is with us here on ESPN 1000. Kitty, Jonathan Hood, thanks so much for your time. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, sorry it's under these circumstances of the passing of Ed, but, uh, you know, we got to move on. He had a good life, made a lot of friends, and uh, and he was a super White Sox fan. No question. Uh, before I go into to Ed, I do want to ask you about you personally and you and your family, what's, what's been going on. You had a very strong message on Facebook that I think we all should heed about us trying to just pull together throughout all this with COVID-19. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm really positive on my messages 99% of the time, mm-hmm. but it's just a few people that have sent me personal messages that they're just so doggone negative. And it just gets to the point. It just, it, it, it bothers me. And I had to go out and vent it. Uh, and it, it, it looked re- like it responded very well with a lot of people who were on my side. I'm not trying to be a preacher, uh, but everybody's in this mess together. You have to go out there and, Take care of yourself and your family, and uh, hopefully this thing will pass, and nobody else will get, uh, you know, have these issues with this disease that's going around. Absolutely, uh, it's a good message, and I hope people can read what you said because it's it's affecting all of us, and we just have to be able to pull together. There's no question about that. Um, Ron, tell us a little bit about your memories of the person at Farmer, the person that you knew. <laughs> you, you know, my first, uh, what do you call it? contact with ed farmer it was in spring training i was a minor leaguer catching uh in spring training we were at ed smith complex and uh you know there's 10 catchers there and all the pitchers are throwing and ed's turn was throw on the field and mike squires was to stand in a batter's box and just kind of watch the strike zone it really wasn't even taking swings so eddie walks up to me before we go out there and he goes hey uh you think you can catch my curveball and I said, what do you mean? And he goes, I have the best 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock curveball there ever is. Best in the world. One of you can catch it. I said, oh, all right. So I get in the batter's box. So I'm in gear. And Squires is standing there. And Eddie throws a curveball. And I take my glove off. And I catch it barehanded. And I said, hey, let me know when you're going to throw that greatest curveball in the world, 12 to 6. And uh, he just smiled. And, uh, you know, he, he said, oh, he goes, oh, you got me. You got me. And, you know, Squires told me I was a jerk, but, uh, you know, that's just baseball ribbing with your teammates and your friends. That's, that's no question. Um, so I remember your career very well, uh, growing up watching the Sox. So you're starting in 82, and Eddie had been in baseball for a long time. Uh, do, what are your memories of him as a pitcher? Because all I can remember is that when he was a closer, he was lights out. Well, you know, he he had that attitude to be a closer. I mean, I didn't know what a closer was at the time when you're in the minor leagues because everybody just needs a pitch. Uh, even in spring training uh, and inter-squad games, it, he wasn't going to give in to you. I mean, he was trying to get you out, uh, knock you on the ground in batting practice. And I'm going, boy, this guy, he, he, he's a hothead. But, uh, you know, and, and tall, after you go in the locker room, you talk, uh, very competitive. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, he had a nine-year career or something like this. He did well, and uh, he made a lot of friends along the way, and uh, I I was kind of glad he was in the booth for so many years. I mean, a big part of White Sox baseball, called a lot of different things, uh, made a super amount of friends, uh, and if you 
treated him to free round of golf or bought him dessert, uh, he likes you even better. <laughs> Ron Kittle with us on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app with Jonathan Hood. Kitty, you know, the, the difference today versus back then, especially when Eddie was um, in the All-Star game in 1980, is that he threw up and in very often uh, and did not mind getting his share of the plate. Was there a guy that you were a little wary of for throwing a little bit uh, inside to you when you played? Well, I got hit 21 times one year, so I was get you know, Greg Lazinski hit a home run, and I'd get drilled. And I said, full hit the home run. Why are you going to knock me on the ground? But, uh, you know, you have to establish yourself coming up in the minor leagues what type of pitcher you are. Eddie was definitely uh, – he wanted as much of the plate as he possibly could to get you off of it. You know, you can't pitch like that in the last 10 years. I mean, you, you get ejected if you throw a ball inside. Uh, and so these hitters are getting – four or five great swings per at bat, you know, even if you fall off a couple of pitches. So, I mean, Brett Saberhagen, uh, Nolan Ryan, I mean, Nolan Ryan drilled me one day and I caught it in my bicep. And it was after I broke up as no hitter uh, at the home and I'm getting drilled for breaking up as no hitter. And, you know, it just stuck in my bicep and I picked it up like an apple and I threw it back to him. And I go to first base and Palmero goes, Ronnie, he's right behind you. Don't say nothing. I, <laughs> you know, it's just respect for the game. Uh, yeah, I got hit. You just move on. But uh, Eddie was pretty fierce, and uh, and he loved his golf, and he was very competitive in that game too. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about his golf game because, you know, I, Hawk Harrelson talks about Ed and, and goes back and forth about the, the golf games that they've had before. I mean, how good was Ed on the course well, I only played with him one time, and he irritated the daylights out of me. Uh, of course. <laughs> you, you know, he, a ball was in the rough, and he'd kick it out in the middle, or you know, so he had a good shot. I'd play from the bad area because that's where I hit it all the time. But uh, he, it, it was just – when you're an athlete, you got a competitive edge in you, and you want to go out there and do everything. And I find myself doing it right now uh, with everything that I do. I, I want to do it better than the next person. Ed loved golf, and uh, if he had a chance to play golf for free somewhere, uh, you'd doggone believe it. He was going to be there to play golf. Uh, you know, I, what I really appreciate with Farmer, it's almost a third act for him, Ron, because it's like he becomes a ball player and be able to play, by the way, in his hometown in Chicago for someone that's from the south side and then becomes a broadcaster for 28 years with the White Sox. But then I think probably – he will always say this, that organ donation, how he was able to push that every year, that seemed to be as meaningful as his career to him. You know, he's got to be kind of blessed. Uh, you know, he had a kidney transplant. Uh, there's people who've had it and uh, rejected it and moved on a year later and passed away. Uh, Ed had a pretty good life, and he did a lot of things out there. He's got a daughter and a wife out in California. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of sad right now to look at you know, he deserves a little bit of recognition in his passing. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think nothing's going to happen with this virus going around. Mm -hmm. People aren't going to be traveling. Uh, I I'm sure once the season starts, they'll have a little uh, memorial for him. But uh, he had a lot of friends, and him and DJ had a lot of fun. Uh, his door was open. You know, he, if, if you were going to give him a, a dessert or a pie or something, he'd get you in the press box and he'd make you feel like a rock star. You'd always have scouring in the booth. 
you'd always have him up there in the radio booth going back and forth. And, you know, when you're in radio broadcasting, you got to be able to call every ball and strike, but somehow he's able to get it in with the Moose stories because he'd be in there all the time talking about his days with the Yankees. You, you know, Moose Gowron, I, I, I would pay $1,000 just to have another five-minute conversation with him right now. Uh, and nobody really cared about the balls in the strike. When you got a Moose Gowron in the box, you listen to his stories. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard him a thousand times, and I miss Moose. Uh, you know, I did the MLB draft with him one time. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had to unhook his live mic for some of the comments that he was saying. And they were old school. They were not hurtful. It was just what they did in the 60s, you know, how they talked about different things. And uh, Moose goes, how can those guys hear me? <laughs> and, you know, I, I just had to pull the plug on them. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Kittle with us on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Hey, uh, how optimistic are you when we get uh, baseball back on the field you know, everyone's talking about this young core of this 2020 White Sox team. You can relate to this as uh, as a rookie of the year, that young team that got to the playoffs in 83. How's that feel when you, you have uh, some veterans and young guys together trying to make something happen? Well, I think Rick Hahn and the White Sox did a really good job picking some uh, quality players up in the draft, or not draft, what do you call it, uh, signing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got a couple of veterans. Uh, who are have been known to say their piece, like to keep guys level-headed, go out there, bust your fanny, run hard, do all that stuff. Uh, and I think with the young bloods that we got on team, uh, we, we they got some players. And I mean, I'm excited. I was hoping to get it fired up and see how good they're really going to be. And uh, you know, but you know, our everybody's this country's health is uh, what we need to focus on right now. Baseball's going to be back. I don't know when. Uh, it'll be a short season probably, but we need to go out there and uh, you're going to have your White Sox fan base still, and everybody's anxious. It was an exciting year for them for, with these moves they made, but we got to get healthy. We got to stay positive, uh, say your prayers, whatever you need to do. We, we need to get back on track and get the world revolving again. Kitty, is that store still open at ronkittle.com? I can still order products if I want to, right? It, absolutely it is. You know that. And, uh, you know, what's really cool about it, well, I don't think it's cool, but you know I'm blatantly honest. We've known each other for a long time. And yeah. uh, people say, it's too expensive. And I go, well, don't buy it. I mean, I ain't going to bust my butt making you something <laughs> if you don't appreciate it. So uh, it, it, it's all good. Times are tight. But, I, I, you know, I make benches all the time. I got one on the on the on my work table right now to finish up. and uh, But right now the priority is to get my yard looking like Augusta National and I can have my little Stella beer and a cigar in the backyard and enjoy it. That's really awesome. Lastly, Kitty, <laughs> I appreciate your time. Tell me, how should Ed be remembered for as a broadcaster and player? Uh, damn nice guy and funny. I, I mean, because, you know, when you're a player, you're a broadcaster, uh, you you got a mix of everything. Uh, you know, I can tell you a couple broadcasters I wouldn't give you a nickel for, mm-hmm. but I won't. Uh, but he 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 was a, a people's person, and uh, he wanted you to know that that he cared. He loved the White Sox. He loved Notre Dame. Uh, I knew nothing from Indiana about the the high school loyalty that his program had from his high school. I used to tell him, I said, you think it's bigger than Notre Dame or UCLA when you talk about it? And he goes, it is. Uh, but, but you know, that's Farmio. He's going to be greatly missed. DJ's going to, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, he's doing, he's struggling a little bit when you're with somebody for so long. And, uh, 
but we'll find another person uh, to go up there to talk some stories, and uh, we're going to move on. But his memories are going to last for a long time. Kitty, as always, I appreciate your time and uh, giving us some stories about uh, the late Ed Farmer. And uh, hope again we can talk soon because we'll hopefully have baseball around the corner. We can talk about a good White Sox team here. Absolutely. Anytime, Jonathan. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We'll hear from Dan Jiggetts, former Chicago Bear, longtime broadcaster, getting his thoughts about the Bears' offseason, some other issues with the NFL. I want to talk to Dan about coming up at 8 o'clock here on ESPN 1000. Eric, I've got a new segment. Are you ready for it? I'm going to unveil it to you right now. You don't even know about it. I love new segments. Lay it on me. You ready for this? Yep. This segment will be entitled Stories I Didn't Get To This Week. <laughs> okay. All right. All right? Yes. Empty the garbage can. Yeah, that's what it is. Yep. It is the garbage can segment <laughs> where all this paperwork I've, I've accumulated over the week, because I'm not on tomorrow, I'll be Chris and Adam tomorrow, so I have a whole bunch of stories I didn't get to, like this one. Helmet Marco. Do you know who Helmet Marco is? No. Weird first name, right? Right. Helmut, H-E-L-M-U-T. Helmut Marco, who is part of the management team for Red Bull Motorsports, suggested that the team's Formula One drivers and juniors should come together for a camp to be infected with the coronavirus. I saw this. They are all strong young men in good health. That way they would be prepared whenever the action starts. The idea was abandoned after the rest of management argued against it. Let's put it this way. It has not been well received, says Marco. <laughs> the deal was canceled as soon as HR called and said, no, infecting employees with disease is not good. <laughs> That's so, such a wild idea. <laughs> don't need that story anymore. How about this story about Tarlington State? Didn't even know it as a thing, by the way, Tarlington State. Billy Gillespie is the new head coach for Tarlington State. But the truth is that Billy Gillespie, the former UTEP and a, uh, Texas A&M and Texas Tech and Kentucky coach, should never be allowed to coach again, according to this writer from NBC Sports. He's abusive. He's manipulative. He, is, uh, he treats the people in the program horrifically. And you can never be sh- quite sure when his next drunk driving charge arrest is going to happen. He's had at least three since coaching uh, to start as a head coach. Um, when he was the head coach of the University of Kentucky, he had a driver because the school could not trust that he'd be able to get behind the wheel while he was hammered. Case in point, exactly five months after Kentucky fired him, when he no longer had a driver supplied to him by the school, he was pulled over at 2.47 in the morning in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, for a DUI. He pled guilty two months later despite refusing a breathalyzer. So there you go. Uh, Billy Gillespie, even though he's got a problem with the bottle, alcoholism, right? Had an issue in almost every place he's been. Kentucky coach, Texas Tech, Texas A&M, UTEP, is now the head coach of Tarlington State. That seems like a good place for him. Something I've never heard of. Tarlington State. Tarlington State. That's probably in like Upper Maine or something like that. No. (laughs) Tarlington sounds southern, doesn't it? Okay. All right. So maybe it's in, in the back roads of Mississippi. Hey, Siri, where's Tarlington State College? Just a sec. One option is Chicago State University on South. Dr. Mark she doesn't know. <laughs> no, no idea. Do you that one? No, I don't. Thank you. 
We'll move on to the next story. <laughs> she doesn't it know where Tony is. It is in Stephenville, Texas. So you there were right on with the, the Southern. Sounds Southern. So he's in, in rural Texas. Boy, that's going to be good for his alcoholism. He'll get them to the tournament, and then he'll get another big job. This is how it works, man. It is. That's how college coaches work. It's reciprocal. You know me. I'll go. Th- I'll talk about him for 15 minutes, so I'm not going to do that tonight. But, uh, <laughs> but just the idea, the second chance topic, always, right? You I mean, it's more than more than one or two chances for this guy, and yet he's going to be coaching again. Toronto is looking for the big W, just looking to try to get on the map. So why not uh, Billy Gillespie, the shameful head coach? How about this story coming across this afternoon? My buddy Dave Lato and the men's basketball, the men's basketball coach for DePaul has mutually agreed to a multi-year extension for Lato to lead the program through the 2023-24 season. Now, here are the facts. Dave Lato, the first time around, hot. 16-13, 22-10, between 2002 and 2005. Went to the Virginia Cavaliers, uh, was three games over 500, came back to DePaul starting in 2015. And the conference record, the second time around for Lato, 3 and 15, 2 and 16, 4 and 14, 7 and 11, and 3 and 15. Extend them. Sounds like a must with that record. You know, during these times, like, I, who am I to say, hey, you know, don't pay somebody? Point is, though, is that. At some point, Gene Lenny Ponsetto, and I'm friends with Gene, I'm a fan of the program of DePaul, but you've got to be able to put more wins on the board in order to receive an extension. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I know there were in this cancel culture, this fire culture, you know, if you underachieve right away, but Dave's had a, a, a time here to be able to turn this thing around. And the biggest issue, what's the biggest issue with DePaul? They shouldn't be in the Big East. Simple. They should be in a different conference and then work your way back into a bigger Power 5 conference. But they don't listen to me. (laughs) Said it forever. And how about this story? How about this story about LaMelo Ball? Have you heard this? Have you seen this, Eric, about the manager uh, for potential number one uh, NBA draft pick, LaMelo Ball, told ESPN that they have purchased his Australian NBL team? Really? Uh, No. (laughs) So... No financial details were revealed. Later Thursday, the Australian NBL said it was working with Simon Stratford, the current license holder of the team, on a number of options of what we could do to have a fruitful uh, outcome for the NBL and the team that he's on. So LaMelo's playing for the team, and now he's an owner of the team. Weird. That, that, give it like five years, and that'll be LeBron and the Lakers, right? <laughs> Wild. Like, he's leaving that team anyways. He's going to be in the draft. I mean... That's weird. Is that part of the interview process, by the way? Of like, hey, so if you get pissed off, you're going to own us? Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's such a bizarre story. I'm surprised they have the money, because Big Baller Brand is is not so big. It's dead. It's dead brand. I knew I shouldn't have bought any shoes. That's why I didn't. I was going to, for, and I asked you like a few years ago, like, should I buy shoes for the bit just to be able to buy shoes and talk about it on the air? You said no. No. Nope. Overpriced. <laughs> so too, pri- too pricey for a bit, even. <laughs> okay. And those are stories I didn't get to. Coming up, we will hear from Dan Jiggins, his thoughts about the Bears and free agency, and some thoughts about the new CBA that the NFL players and owners have agreed to. Uh, A lot of players not happy with that deal. We'll talk about it next on UTH.